I'm live at the Red House with Valerie Miller of Asheville, North Carolina. And thank you for stopping in on your way back to Asheville. Who doesn't want to stop in a pretty field? Yeah. On, on the way home. <laughs> That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. That's why I want to come here every night. Exactly. So I don't want to, let's see, where could we begin? Because we're meeting each other for the first time. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we could go through your bio and I could ask all sorts of questions. But kind of where I want to jump off really is... I got an email that said that it kind of in a cryptic way, like this is the second album by this artist that has to do with sort of a history around a piece of land and something that happened there. I wonder if we could, if you want to, would you want to just jump right into the story of this record? Sure. And just to be clear, it's not my second album at all. It's like my seventh or eighth or oh, something like that. My mistake. Um, but no big deal. <laughs> this is the first one that I'm doing a really professional release ah. with all of the bells and whistles. Um, I've always done my other records independently. And to be honest, by the time I get done recording a record, I'm usually just broke. And this time around, I my situation's a little different, and I have a label helping me do all the stuff too. So it's the first time really that I'll be releasing one very professionally. Mm. So that feels good. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, this I also think... It's my favorite of the records that I've ever done, the, the current one. Um, it was called Only the Killer Would Know. And, um, you know, I never, I didn't intentionally write a concept record, but there were just recurring themes in the music I've been writing in recent years and really my whole life. Um, one or two, well, at least one of the records on the album is really old, but strangely related to the material from now, which all circles around um, the fact that I bought a piece of land in Swannanoa, North Carolina, which I found out much later was basically right beside or possibly inside the, uh, the outline, the, um, what are you trying to say? The borders of, um, of a government Superfund site. And the word Superfund with a D is a messed up word in my opinion, because it sounds like super fun. And most people have never heard this word and they go, Oh, what's super fun. <laughs> and you're like, Oh no, no, sweetie. I've got some bad news. Superfunds are um, the most toxic sites on the planet. They are places where such a massive environmental mess has been made. And the PRP potentially responsible party which is more of this bullshit illegalese language, as I call it, uh, has absconded and the government has to come in and pay, quote, un for, quote unquote, for a cleanup, quote unquote, especially on the cleanup part. Um, and just a lot of money is necessary to basically mitigate environmental damage that's been done. Mm. So I lived next to one called Chemtronics, which just sounds like a comic book, like a dark, scary comic book. Yeah, uh, It was a government... Uh, military site where they manufactured chemicals for warfare, including an, an experimental hallucinogenic decapacitating agent, um, which is also known as BZ or Agent Buzz. So they were manufacturing all kinds of very sinister things down there at Chemtronics and then dumping it in the ground, burying it in the ground. Um, so I didn't know that place was there when I bought this little acre of land in Swannanoa. And I sort of started hearing things in the community but even after I moved away and sold the place it still didn't really hit me and the way that I ended up putting together was just through having some bizarre health problems of my own and working backwards in my mind like well what could have caused this 
And I went, oh, the Superfund. And then I started doing all of this research and finding out all of this really amazingly chilling information um, about that place and all the other places that there's so many of these sites all over America and the world. So anyway, it's a really cheerful topic. (laughs) filled with hope and light no but I mean I just I write about what happens to me and this is what happened so yeah yeah it's I guess the immediate thing that stands out to me is like being down here I think of Asheville as kind of a a dense place of a lot of nature lovers probably and land appreciators and environmentally Mm -hmm. conscious folks and then to hear I guess that this was going on you know just outside of Asheville or whatever in uh, it, it it's 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 noticeable and jarring in some way mm-hmm. like this idea of poison land or whatever right outside of Asheville yeah um it the site was though operational in an area that is rural and you know not a wealthy area at all which is you know where a lot of these places end up being is stuck beside people who don't have a lot of money um And, you know, the community was dimly aware and I heard some really chilling stories like from a neighbor of mine who told me one day, see that depression in that field out there? Uh, I said one day in the 90s, um, there was some steam coming out of that depression and my dog ran through it and my dog's skin fell off. And so that was my neighbor. So whatever the steam is that was rising from the ground in his field was all in my shit too, basically. Oh my God. And there was one time way back in the day when something blew up and the entire town of Swannanoa had to be evacuated, like 2,000 people. That was more like in the 80s, I think. But there was a massive explosion. And no one really ever put the story together. Basically, these Superfund sites are just shrouded in um, mystery and silence and illegalese, just weird language and terms that are meant to obfuscate. Hmm. So... It's not easy to find out information about them. Is it say, are they, as far as you know, have you been able to discover what, is there a good reason that these places exist? Um, well, we have to put toxic waste somewhere and they, each one is for a different reason. A lot of them are military related. The Mm. military has a lot of toxic waste. Um, so like on military bases and stuff, there have been in Fort Bragg, I think I'm saying that correctly, is has been embroiled in lots of legal trouble due to um, toxic exposures there. Um, but this place down in Swannanoa was manufacturing chemicals for warfare. And there are lots of other Superfund sites that are related to more um, industry manufacturing in general not specific to the military, Mm. but in, you know, in the industrial age, there's a lot of toxic waste that happens that has to go somewhere. And it's sad, um, how it gets stuck by poor people. A lot of times stuck in poor people's areas and it's criminal in my opinion, how much lying goes on about them Mm. because there's just blatant lying and, you know, withholding of information in these communities and people get sick and people die. Yeah. So, and I also read some really horrible statistic that said one in however many Americans, one in, I I can't remember. No, it was something like every American lives within X miles of a super fund. And I can't remember if it was 15 miles or 25, but it was something pretty small. Really? There are a lot of them. Um, And to, to say super fund, that means sites that have been designated by the government officially recognized. 
but there are so many other sites that haven't even made it onto the Superfund registry. It's like a sex offender registry, basically. Uh-huh. These places are identified, labeled, put on this registry, and then there's so many other places that have not even made it onto that registry. So, you know, after decades of, and more than decades, of just having willy-nilly all these chemicals, what do we do with these boys? Well, oh, just bury them in the ground. You know, it's finally catching up to us. Mm. Yeah, this is all brand. This is news to me. Like yeah. uh, this is a category of information I've never discussed with anybody before, mm. uh, and so this informed uh, this this experience with this thing kind of informed this piece of music that you ended up creating. So it did. I guess does it, was it like were you processing it all? Were you telling the story through the music? I refer to it in the music definitely. Um, there are certain songs that are newer songs that sort of. Um, tell the story but I'm a very impressionistic writer so I'm not like your typical protest you know just say it straight out it's all sort of poetically done and impressionistically done but yes there's definitely mention of the Chemtronic site in one of my songs and you know just of environmental problems that my area has yeah so is there much is there much is there ever any responsibility taken for the, the the outcomes of these that end up hurting people that aren't related to this stuff? That are well, that, I mean, anybody's ever seen that movie, Aaron Brockovich? Um, this yeah, is, this is a right. similar situation. Although I don't think that place where those people got exposed had had been at that time uh, declared a Superfund site. But um, you know, if you watch that movie, it is not easy for anyone to get anyone to admit a link between my illness your chemical. I mean, corporations and and individuals and lawyers will go to such great lengths and there's so many ways that they can deny that that is true. Mm. So no, there's really not a whole lot that can be done. The only thing that I would say is, um, I sure wish somebody had told me in language I could understand about that place when I was buying the piece of property. And it seems like that should be the law. Yeah. Um, but I encourage anybody who's buying property, you can just Google super fun sites near me and there's maps that show where they are all over the country. It's a good thing to be informed about. And, you know, a lot of us are lucky enough to have that choice, but there are many, many people who aren't so fortunate who just happen to live in a place like this and they, they're not going to be able to move away or do anything about it. Mm. And they're not going to be able to prove when, the, when they're up against giant corporations, that the reason all of the people in their area are getting cancer or dying is related. Nobody wants to take responsibility for it. Man, that's horrible. It is. It's it, really shocking the extent to which corporations operate with impunity. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just taking that all in. I'm just like thinking through that whole problem, and that's just such an interesting thing to, to think about. And and devastating thing to think about, devastating reality to think it about. Is. Um, so I guess is this a? I'm just curious if this is like. Are you are you in the midst of a battle with this whole thing, trying to do anything with it? Not at all. Gotcha. No, I. Uh, I'm pretty sure it would be futile. I res- really respect people who go that route of the activists, um, but. I, you know, I thought a lot about what, what can I, is there anything I can do and how would I speak a bit about this when I release the record? Cause I'm not an activist. I don't have a list of solutions. In fact, you know, a lot of these places will never be cleaned up. 
Mm-hmm. And these chemicals that are there are going to be there for a really long time. Um, so a lot of the super fun song and dance is, is more like a dog and pony show. You know, they just try to define a, a um, perimeter. They try to find where the stuff is buried, but they never even get around to finding everything. How can you find everything that's buried if you don't know where it is? So there's not a big message of hope, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Um but awareness of it, I think, is probably better than not being aware. And if there can be a conversation that started about better ways to dispose of these types of chemicals and um, make people in communities aware that they're there. And then I just pretty much committed to, well, telling a story through art has a value inherently even if I have zero clue of what can be done about this problem, I'm just going to tell my story through music. So, yeah, it's the way to go. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. I, I, as you were talking through that, I was thinking of, it it seems like it's a lot to do with water. A lot of the time it's like where water goes, isn't it? Yes. And soil is a big problem too. Mm. So yeah, I've just in putting things out there online about this issue. Um, there have been a few comments from people who know about the Chemtronics place. And, and one of the comments that I saw was, Oh yeah, I have a friend that lives near that place. And they told him to not grow any food to eat and to put all of his trash in biohazard bags. And I just was like, well, nobody said that to me. And wow, it's just chilling, you know, cause I was growing food and mm. eating it and gardening and had the dirt all over me all the time. And I had a well full of water and, it's a place in Western North Carolina that looks like that scene in the sound of music. The hills are like, it's just a beautiful pastoral, you know, I thought it was in paradise. That's just upsetting. That's just yeah. such an upsetting string of information to put together. It is. I'm here to bum you out. No, that's, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to, I don't know, maybe cheer you up. I no <laughs> <Possibly>. idea. <laughs> Music. Uh, music. Let's let's go ahead and get into that a little bit. Telling your story through music. So, how long have you been doing this? Um, I put out my first record in about ninety eight, um, and I've been doing it the whole time. So, hell yeah, <laughs> good. So, were were you? Uh, I don't remember when you told me we were just getting to know each other, and you mentioned having moved to Asheville quite a while back, but did you start out in Durham doing music? I No, I didn't play music um, in Durham. I didn't know. I mean, I took some piano lessons when I was a kid, but I had no thoughts in my head of becoming a musician. And then I went to college out west in Colorado and studied literature, still had no thoughts in my head of becoming a musician, although I did buy a guitar in college and immediately started writing songs and just sort of learning it by ear. I didn't take any lessons or anything. And then after college, I was like, oh, I guess I should have been thinking about what I was going to do when I got out. Because <laughs> I just kind of like went to this college and had a really great time and did a lot of camping and, you know, did a lot of stuff outdoors, um, but didn't really think too much about what I wanted to do after that. So um, I started realizing that I could work at outdoor education programs um, just because I had been done such a bunch of camping, a ton of camping. And so I started looking for a job at an outdoor education program, and I ended up getting a job at um, Camp Woodson, which is a wilderness program for youth at risk 
um, based out of uh, Swannanoa, mm. Black Mountain, North Carolina. So that's when I moved to the Asheville area to do that job, which I did for a couple of years. And then I decided it wasn't for me. And I moved to Madison County and was living on a farm, being a farm girl, still had no clue that I would ever do anything with music. And a friend of mine heard me just picking on the guitar one time at my house. And she was like, oh, that's good. What is that? And I, I told her I wrote it. And she started bothering me to apply for this grant that the North Carolina Arts Council gives, which is called the North, uh, the Emerging Artist Grant. Yeah, that's what it is. And I was just like, Hillary, you're crazy. I'm not going to get no grant. But long story short, uh, she bothered me enough about it that I applied and I got it and then was totally horrified. <laughs> I'm like, ah, that, what am I supposed to do? And at that point, my life just did a sharp turn off the path that I was on. I left the farm. I left Madison County. I moved into Asheville, started going to a ton of open mic nights, immediately met uh, kind of a semi-famous cult-like character in our area, Malcolm Holcomb. I don't know if you've heard of him. But that name rings a bell for some reason. It, Yeah, he's an amazing singer-songwriter, um, just old school and brilliant. And I started playing upright bass and just immediately went on tour with him. As soon as I moved from out in the country into Asheville proper, I just, everything just took off. Not in like, oh, I'm making so much money, but I just got really busy playing gigs and learning music and writing my own songs and going on the road a lot. And yeah. it was great. That's it awesome. Was, you know, before we toured with cell phones and I got that taste of life on the road back before the internet ruined the world. So yeah. it was very fun. Yeah. I didn't start touring until probably 2013, 14. So, mm -hmm. I mean, well, well past that point of ever being able like with like never having to tour without GPS. Or right. Whatever, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. GPS is really handy, when you're <laughs> it but it was just a different time and like just looking at atlases or stopping to call somebody on a payphone and ask where the venue was and writing it down on a piece of paper, you know, yeah. it's a very different time, but it was, it was great. And I've been doing that kind of stuff ever since. That's awesome. Is Asheville. Okay. Let me ask you this for a long time. I've had a very mixed view of Asheville from the outside because mm -hmm. I think couple years ago I don't remember who I who I inherited this opinion from but I remember talking to somebody and it was sort of like yeah Asheville is so based in tourism and stuff that it's it's harder to be it's harder to be an artist or that it's harder to be an outsider artist uh, meaning like for me to go travel and play there because like I, I don't know I can't remember the I can't remember exactly what this the argument was that now I don't really think was a very thorough reason to have a bad taste in one's mouth for Asheville but I just haven't I haven't worked there a lot I don't know what the impression is there but is it a good spot to be for a person working as an artist um like to play gigs and stuff like that yeah um you know over the time that I've lived there it's been great to me and we were talking right before we started about how it's changed um you do feel the presence of the tourists way more than you mm. used to but I don't know that that would affect anybody's ability to get booked to play. I think if you have good material to submit and somebody likes your stuff, you have a good chance of going there to, to play some gigs. There'll probably be menu venues. You know, you'll probably be in a restaurant or something in the corner and, you know, get a little bit of money, but not a lot. Um, but then, like, getting a nice gig at the Great Eagle or something like that is probably a little harder. Mm-hmm. 
So, but there's a ton of places where you can just like go to restaurants and cafes and, and play. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm trying not to do that stuff quite as much anymore. I'm trying to like play fewer gigs and maybe come up from the menu venue aspect a little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm trying not to do restaurants or bars pretty much at all mm-hmm. and just do stage stuff where I can, but it's like, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of bargaining chips to really demand that in every city throughout the state or country, but right. you know, I just, I, I'd look for venues that really treat music with a lot of dignity and a lot of like, like seriousness. Well, I was just going to say like, I have the same general guidelines about bars and restaurants, but there are places like that, those where there's such an emphasis on the music and the people running the place respect music and love music so much like the place I played on Sunday, um, Speakeasy on Main in Carborough, it's a bar, but the stage is in a separate room from the bar. It's a very nice stage, well built. Thank you, Stu, if you ever listen to this, because this guy named Stu built the stage. Great sound system. The owners were thrilled to have me. Um, they took care of all my sound needs. I didn't have to, you know, I hate schlepping in my own sound gear or or just putting together someone's shitty PA where all the cords (laughs) are laying everywhere and no one's vacuumed in like eight years, you know, Yeah. but this was all set up. I just walked in, sat down, plugged in. And I, I think because the owners love music so much and have created a place, you know, where there's going to be a lot of music happening people who come there also love music and so I didn't have many people but there must have been 15 or 20 people in the room sitting down listening to my entire gig Mm -hmm. and those kinds of places I'll play I have no problem with that yeah that's great I don't need it to be 100 people I don't need to get paid a thousand dollars whatever it is I just want it to be a place where I feel welcome and I feel like people want to want to hear what I'm doing yeah I feel that completely and you have to do some bad gigs to learn, oh, this place isn't like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> Ooh, there's some bad gigs out there. Aren't uh, there indeed? Yes. Yes, there mm-hmm. are. Uh, but I haven't played bad gigs in Asheville. I've played some cool spots. I played, I used to play the French Broad out there, uh, or the French Broad Brewery. Yeah, I love that place. Like that. I played there a lot too. I think there was a place like called uh, Waterside or something that was... Kind of in an industrial part of town. The Bywater. Bywater. That's yep. what it was. Yeah, that's closed. I mean, there's a bar there now, but it's not the oh, same really? thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a great spot to play music, I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool. It was mm-hmm. cool. And I played Grey Eagle once on a whim with, um, do you know, well, oh no, oh no, uh, oh no, mm-hmm. I can't think of, I can't think of her name. It's something with a rose and I've forgotten it, but they're very, they used to be a Molly really, Rose Reed. I think it might be Molly Rose, and she had a, a trio, mm-hmm. an Americana trio. Uh-huh. What are they called? Uh, are you friends with them? Or? Underhill Rose. Yeah, Underhill Rose. That's Good Lord. Good job. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what that was all about, but we got there. Underhill Rose. Are they friends of yours? Or? We, we, yeah, we were like kind of torn, torn pals for a couple years, but it was like pre-pandemic. We, mm-hmm. I, When I wasn't on the road as much, we just didn't see each other, and uh, I've reached out once since, and we haven't reconnected yet, but I loved playing shows with them because at the time I had a, a, a all-male trio that just like was very, it was a really nice balance with their all-female trio, and it was mm-hmm. a really cool thing. Nice. So they pulled me up there one time, but that's cool. the only time I've been fortunate enough to play the Grey Eagle so far. Mm-hmm. So another just indulgent curiosity, a couple of artists that I'll talk to, creative people in general, seem to like just be really connected to nature a lot of the time. Like, what is that all about? 
<laughs> Why? It's a secret. <laughs> I can't tell you. <laughs> um, I have no idea what it's about for anybody else. But, I mean, for me, nature is like, why would anybody need church or religion hmm. if there's nature? And, um, you know, earlier in my career, I would think things like, well, if I really want to be serious, I should move to Nashville or New York or L.A. or something. And then the other voice in my head would be like, no, pretty nature. Hmm. And so I, I consciously made a choice to, you know, probably have a different kind of career, maybe less successful or whatever, just because I wanted to stay in those mountains, which are my muse. Hmm. I mean, I think it's healing and peace. I think a lot of people who are songwriters or artists can be tortured or maybe a little damaged and being in and near nature is very healing and peaceful and non-stressful. And it's also, you know, a, a safe place to feel like you can write and play and sing. Mm. Yeah. So. I, I related very specifically to that bit about career. Like, I mean, having lived here, like I, I had the same, I, I reached a point at one point where it was like, I, I knew I ought to move to Nashville if that was how I was going to orient my time or whatever. But living here has been, I just haven't been able to part with it. It's, yeah. just, it's something too important to me about living somewhere that brings me peace. You yeah. know, I mean, what's the point of moving somewhere if then all your mojo is gone, you don't end up writing thing when yeah. you're there, you know? Or if you're just like dreaming of a future where you get to live somewhere that brings you peace. like That's a good point. That's what bothered me. How do you want to live today is yeah. basically, you know. So, yeah, making sacrifices, totally, I respect that. But I, I just always knew that what I wanted to do was write songs, not have a career. I wanted to, and if I have a career, fine. But I'm not going to choose trying to have a career over writing songs. And I know for me, if I stay in the place that I love, I know I'll write songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel that completely. And I also know that just like from releasing this record, and I mean, I have a label helping doing the brunt of the kind of logistical stuff, but I still have some of it to do. And it it's amazing how that is just the opposite of art. <laughs> Mm. The, and the label you, side of just stuff how you have to start you know you it's still a diy world even when you have a small record label it, i mean they do so much for me and they're so great but i still you know end up doing stuff that i feel like a secretary and that's fine but i know that if i tried to pursue that more i would just end up doing more secretary hours and mm. i really want to keep my like keep a no fly zone as big of a no fly zone as i can for creativity yeah. So if that means that I'm, you know, not a go getter or whatever, then fine. I'm a stay here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that should be a T-shirt. You should. That could be on your merch table. Yeah, true. <laughs> I like that. So, I mean, has, has nature was. Well, no, you said you went to school in Colorado and you were kind of in that environment. Mm -hmm. So was that the was that the point at which this connection with like nature and, and this stuff is that did that sh did that happen then or is that why you went to Colorado? No, I that's not why I went to Colorado. I didn't know what Colorado would be like. And mm. yeah, that's where I was like, 
oh wow you know just the giant mountains of the west compared to the landscape in the east it just sort of blew me away and I mean there were things about it that kind of freaked me out like you know here it's all lush Mm -hmm. and there you just feel like so exposed I remember thinking like what if I was running from the cops around there's like no woods to (laughs) dive into just all just open but yeah, it was gorgeous. And that's, I guess, why a lot of people went to the college that I went to. It wasn't why I went, but I guess a lot of nature lovers went there. So I just sort of like got on their coattails and started mm-hmm. going camping and going all over in the mountains. And yeah, I just loved it. Yeah. So is your life now kind of like a permanent camping thing? Is that kind of what it's like? Well, I never camp in a tent and sleep on the ground anymore, right. but I live in a cabin that is from the 1800s on 30 acres of property Mm. in North Asheville. And so, yeah, you see my place and it looks like I'm in another time and I have nothing but woods around my house. Like there's no power lines that come to the house. There's no street lights. I can barely see anybody else's house except off in the distance. So that's my favorite kind of camping is just being in the woods, but having like sheets and towels and a nice comfortable bed and a roof that stays up. Netflix, you know, all yeah. that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Is this a, is this a log cabin? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's, I love it's that. It's amazing. Mm. I, do you have any pictures of that? I do. On I would my love phone. to see yeah, I'll that show you. Uh, before you take off. Mm-hmm. I was building, uh, actually that cabin there behind you on the wall there. Uh-huh. That's, that was my, my grandfather built that cabin and that's where I grew up. Where and, is that? Uh, that's in, <laughs> my grandfather was a trip. That's in Northside Winston. Uh-huh. And he bought like. There's like a little neighborhood down there that's all quarter acre spots. And he bought like six of them. So he, and then he created this atmosphere as if he was up out in the country somewhere, but it was like in, it's like on Liberty, it's right off of Liberty Street in Winston-Salem. It's like, I think probably three miles north of downtown. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up with all this, a lot of the stuff you see out here, all this like rustic cabin stuff that's like woodsy. I grew up looking at that, but kind of not really realizing, you know, until I was a bit older that like right out the end of my road, I could see downtown from, from the end of my street. That is unique. It was weird, but Is yeah. that property still there? Like- it is. And it's like, since my grandparents have left us, it's, uh, it's, it's really deteriorated. My dad lives there by himself now. And it's just like, I don't know how my, my grandfather had this massive garden and he kept up all like, you know, all this land and. Not not like a ton of land, but he kept a yard looking really, really put together. And it just immediately just started to overgrow and things deteriorated and stuff. Mm. So anyway, I love cabins. I inherited a love for cabins from him, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the when when I got laid off from my job, uh, when quarantine was really like deep in effect, I went out to a I started working building log cabins with a company who takes places like that like 19th century log cabins and buys them and Mm -hmm. rebuilds them and kind of restores them and stuff Mm -hmm. so that was fun i love a good cabin Uh uh-huh yeah and i love a good 30 acres hell yeah (laughs) can't beat that yeah it's a pretty unique you know because i'm 10 minutes from downtown Asheville, but I live on 30 acres, you know? Yeah. So I couldn't believe it when I saw it in the paper for rent. I just immediately got my keys and ran over there and happened to see it on the day it went on the market. And Mm. 
just I couldn't believe I got it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. It really is. So you're gardening, you're living in a cabin. There's too much shade. I live in the woods. Like oh, there's not gotcha. even really a yard. So gotcha. and honestly I've done a ton of gardening and I am perfectly thrilled these days to have the lovely people at Mother Earth Produce bring me a CSA box once a week to my house. <laughs> and yeah, I don't I don't feel like I have to garden, but I love supporting the all the farmers who work so hard in western North Carolina. Hell yeah. Eating my beautiful vegetables every week. I salute them. Did I guess but is this is this spot where you're at? Is that different from the spot we were talking about before? Did you leave yeah, that place? I left that place. I sold that place and somebody asked me at the gig the other day, "How did you sell it?" But when I was selling it, I still was only dimly aware of the Chemtronic site. Mm. Just people would refer to it, and I didn't really know. And it wasn't until probably three or something years after I left the property that I really started putting it all together. So, gotcha. But, yeah, I'm I'm glad I don't live there anymore. Yeah. So now you're in this new spot. So uh, do, you, do you also – do you have – do you run into a lot of animals up there in the woods? So many animals. Yeah. I live in this, like, protected little bowl. And so there's so many animals. I see bear all the time. Um, there's a zillion turkeys. <laughs> One of them pecked a hole in my car door. Really? I think it had gone crazy or something. It was like checking out its own reflection and it was just pecking on my car door. And I went out there one day and it was just like a big old indentation in my door. Wow. Man, these turkeys. And uh, deer. Yeah. I see deer a lot. There's tons of birds. Yeah, it's awesome. You like, you like, are you an animal person as well? Um, wild animal. Yeah. I don't give a shit about domesticated animals. Yeah. I, your pets are fine. I don't hate them. I just don't want one. Yeah. People are always like, why don't you have a pet? Like they can't <laughs> understand it. And I'm like, cause I don't like cleaning up shit every day. And I am not a person who wants dependence. Yeah. I don't have any kids either. So, which is very hard for a lot of people to understand, but that is my way. I love my wild pets. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I dig that. I mean, as, I, I guess I see a lot of similarity, uh, not just between you and myself, but like other artists that have been on the show that come to mind that just, I think, feel the same way about a lot of shit. And it's gathering uh, no moss, gathering no moss, you know, Rolling Stone gathers no moss. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. uh, that's the idea. Um, mm -hmm. But also it's, we, you know, still a play like there's something really. Well, I don't know. That's interesting. I don't know. I, I, in my own head, I was thinking about like the idea of a family and a more like traditional lifestyle, but there's still something about there's a place where I go every day, like that spot in the woods, that spot in a little patch of earth that I kind of get to shape like a piece of art or whatever. Like, I love that. I love that maybe more than I'm, I've, I've come to love that. I guess more than touring, more than like, more than putting out albums and like wanting people's feedback. Like there's something about being at peace at a place where I can live that I've, I've started to love more about more than anything, mm -hmm. I guess. I agree with you. And I, I have, I touch on that subject in a few of my songs of just getting to know a place more and more. And I guess it would seem boring to some people to take the same walk every day for like seven years. Mm. But for me, I'll notice something different every single time or just changes of things that I've already, you know. And to, to me, I have this one song called My Acre and it says my acre gets bigger and bigger. Mm. It feels like the more I get to know it, the more it expands for me. So I'm totally can spend a lot of time just in one little place or going on one walk or looking at a certain 
you know, sitting by a certain pond or something and it never seems old to me. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I'm easily amazed. <laughs> my friends tease me about it because I'll be like, oh my God, you guys, <laughs> check this out. They'll be like, what? <laughs> oh yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> what is but it, I think caterpillar? Yeah, maybe, or leaf, you know. <laughs> but it's good quality to have, I think. Yeah. It's better have... than not to be amazed at anything. Yeah, so. to be bored with life. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I'm the same way. I like my big thing. I like to walk around here and look at all the trees, but just like, like particular ones, like particularly the big mighty ones, like the ones that are a couple, you know, maybe 200 years old or something. Just go see how they're doing. Just like look at them for a little while. Look at how massive they are and appreciate it. And then like move on to the next one. That's probably my, that's my evening stroll. Usually yeah, it's a relationship with the trees. Yeah. You're a druid too. I'm a, I think I am. I was in Carborough yesterday and you know, I left my, uh, or Chapel Hill actually, I left my hotel room and walked out onto Franklin Street and, you know, it's all young and hip and there's all these shops and I immediately just like turned off the main street and started walking around this neighborhood where there was hardly any people and found two massive trees and just sort of went over and stood next to them and looked at them <laughs> from the bottom and just walked around them. And people were passing by clearly just like, what is she doing? Is she a scientist? Is she going to take it? And I was just like checking out the tree, <laughs> having a moment with the tree. Yeah. It's a relationship. I love trees. I do too. There's just something, yeah, awe-inspiring, impressive, scary about them. And I do feel like, I mean, I sort of personified them, you know, I'm like, Hey, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and yeah. I feel like it knows me, but not really. I don't know. There's a really impressive, uh, white ash tree out here that is obviously dead because all the white ash trees are dying. Uh, oh, but they are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, I don't, it's not that blight that was, it's not the blight. I think it might be. Oh, cause the, they weren't ash though. They were evergreens of some kind. Is ash an evergreen? No. 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 Yeah, there was a different kind of, of evergreen that had a blight in my area, but huh. that sucks about the ash trees. Well, yeah, I don't know to what extent this goes, but all the white ashes here are dying, and there's one out here that's probably 300 years old, that or was 300 years old, um, that before you take off, I you might see enjoy it. seeing it, yeah. mm -hmm. which you can see it from the window. It's fucking massive, but um, okay. we can go look closer as well. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, I dig the nature thing, man. So yeah, I'm just fascinated with, because I don't know, I'm sure different types of music come from with different cultures, you know? I mean, obviously they do. Like you, you go to New Orleans and you're not, you're not surprised to hear jazz and you go to, you know, New York and other cities have jazz scenes and, and more contemporary music scenes. And, uh, I'm, I am a little bit fascinated, I guess, with like the, the nature oriented lifestyle and how it relates to, like, if you came over and found out I was just like a, like a one of those DJs that does purely like ele electronic music that's for dance parties or whatever, but I do it in, in this environment. It's funny how those two things don't obviously go together, right? I guess. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's um, the what I've heard of your music. It very clearly is an extension. It sounds like of a person who appreciates nature, who appreciates like has a perspective of life that's kind of taking in the surrounding. You mm -hmm. know, um, has that always been? what you've been motivated to create uh, sort of well i mean it, i guess i don't consciously choose to write about anything i just sort of i have this process where something just sort of pops in my head and i go with it but i think just because of the way i position myself in the world and i'm lucky enough to do, have done a lot of traveling and to just sort of have 
a perspective that's not as, maybe as mainstream as some Americans. Um, and I never wanted to write love songs. Mm. I just find it embarrassing. <laughs> I never wanted to say baby this and baby that or whatever. So um, it just, it, it wasn't an interesting subject to me at all. It's not like I thought about it and rejected it. It just never occurred to me to write things like that. You know, my very first songs, yeah, one of them is called Chickweed. And it's about the, it's totally is about environmental stuff when I think about it. So, yeah, I guess I just, I noticed things that are compelling to me. You know, the juxtaposition between nature and what humans are doing in nature. And that is, you know... Sometimes I write songs celebrating the beauty and all that, but a lot of times it's more like the tension between what humans are doing to nature. Yeah. So. What do you, I mean, like, what are the big things at this current stage in, uh, like, what people are doing to nature? And is that something that, is that different from every community, different depending on the community? What I mean is we hear a lot of environmental things, and I don't know if you pay, if you, like, regularly pay a lot of attention to whatever's happening in the sort of like environmental activist realm of stuff or whatever. Uh, me with a limited information with all this stuff, I'm aware of the pipeline thing and that it, that it ceased, uh, that, that we ceased that plan. I'm familiar with the word fracking and what that was doing to some communities like a while back, but I would have to admit, I'm not really aware of everything that we're doing all the time Mm -hmm. and whether it's different from community to community. So what are some of those things that maybe stand out to you that like that you notice and that you wonder whether it's a good idea or not? Yeah, I mean, I'm like you. I find out about things through pretty um, standard news outlets a lot of times, unless it's something I'm investigating, like this whole Superfund thing. Um, But I mean, I, I would say just in general sort of an umbrella subject over many different kind of environmental problems is just all of the chemicals that we use in our daily lives. Mm. And the exposure to chemicals is not just when you live next to a Superfund site. It's a thing that happens throughout your day, every day. And, you know, how we would ever convince corporations to stop using these chemicals, I have no idea. But there was a time when we had food at the grocery stores and you know everything that we needed but there weren't nearly as many chemicals in rotation yeah and there's a loophole there's all bunch of a whole bunch of loopholes but there's a documentary called stink and it's a really good documentary just about this man who um his wife dies when they have two little girls and so he's now a single dad of two little girls and he buys them some pajamas for christmas from some store that apparently everybody with kids knows about, but I don't know about it. And they open up the pajamas and they stink like chemicals. So he tries to get on the phone and just ask this company just to find out what the chemicals are in his daughter's clothes and is met with just the most hideous stonewall by this company. They don't have to disclose this information, basically. Um, It's called the fragrance loophole. You can say it's fragrance and it could have arsenic. It can legally in this country have so many horribly poisonous things in it. But if it's in your company's fragrance, you don't have to disclose anything Hmm. of it. And then beyond that, the um, United States has really lax laws about chemicals. And so a lot of countries send us all the stuff that other countries have banned. 
So the United States is just like, bring it on, just dump the stuff on our heads. So we end up with, I think, a bigger proportionate load of these toxic chemicals than maybe other countries with better laws about them. Hmm. So yeah, just toxic chemicals. War is bad. There's a lot of toxic chemicals that go into war making and warmongering. Boy, it'd be nice if that could stop. Yeah. I mean, these are big, giant subjects, you know. But then there's a million just sort of community by community or state by state. There's so many issues. That is uh, interesting. And I guess like rooted, I guess rooted to, I think what you've alluded to, sort of like maybe an emphasis on like the dry, like the, the economic importance of the corporation compared to the health of the individual, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. The impunity of corporations. I mean, it seems like people, and rightly so, have just sort of given up trying to take them on. Mm. Because, yeah, you can't win against corporations. I mean, maybe every now and then somebody has a little win, but it's probably not going to be a win that takes down the corporation and makes them to stop doing what it, whatever it is that's toxic that they're doing. It's probably more of a win like, okay, we'll award you this amount of money or pay some fines. But beyond that, yeah, I mean, something major is going to have to happen to sort of tumble that whole paradigm, topple it to where the corporations have to come out the losers. Yeah, that's what I, well, I guess I don't as much worry about it with corporations, but uh, constantly it feels like something happening is on the horizon. I don't know what the hell that means, but Mm -hmm. it feels like somehow instability, it seems like, is on the horizon. And Mm -hmm. I don't know why, or I don't know, I don't know how that will be achieved, but it just feels looming. It just feels threatening in some way. Well, and, you know, we're so lucky and sheltered in this country, but there are plenty of places in the world where, you know, environmentally, there are refugees, people who are leaving whatever island that they lived on because, you know, it's underwater mostly now, or, you know, places where the air is too toxic to breathe. People are being forced to migrate mm-hmm. because of environmental issues. Um And it's probably not going to be a cataclysmic event. You know, it won't be like a meteor striking the earth, but these things are happening and they're going to continue to happen. So I'm not really a big, uh, we have to save people person. Um, from what I've observed, all species go extinct. Mm. I'm pretty sure that's like something that most people really don't want to deal with, but yes, every species goes extinct as will humans. So to me, it's like not a big deal and the earth will be fine, especially once humans are extinct. Mm. I mean, I just don't feel like we should save humans. I feel like it's the natural way that things are going to go. And I don't even know if it would be possible, but do I feel like humans must persist on this earth? No, not at all. Mm. There, maybe there'll be some squirrels, whatever. But like, why are we so important? I don't get that. I can't lie and say I I don't relate at all because I've definitely related to that sentiment before. I think I think I strive not to now. I think I I I, sh- I choose rather to I don't know look for reasons that make me feel like it matters to me that the species continues and that like we we have a future and for for I I mean I think ultimately it's 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 hard not to agree that it seems in the grand scheme of the universe that. Perhaps we're not as important as we like to think we are, but 
It's like, I don't know, things like art and language and relationships and, and just life itself. It make like the fact that we can put into language and talk about the fact that we're here is something that I, I don't want that to go away. Of course, I, when I look at the natural order of the world with, with in places where we are not the dominant force, it is beautiful and it's hard not to appreciate the beauty of it all, but I don't know. I want the species to, to carry on. I want, I want, I I choose to want the species to carry on, I think. I just am like pointing out and I'm I'm pretty sure this is true biologically that each species that comes into existence will also not exist. Yeah. That is just that's the fucking facts, yeah. you know. And so that's why I am not saying I don't hate humans or anything like that. It just if you look at that fact Mm-hmm. then what is there to be sentimental about? This is what happens to every single thing that lives. Yeah, that is interesting. Individual I, and group. Some people think, I mean, yeah, some people think that there will be a, a, a post-human species or whatever, uh, something more, something evolved different from us. Hybrids with machines or something like that. I have no idea. What do you think? Well, I think hybridization with machines is already happening. Hmm. Um, I mean... There's a ton being done to make sure that it does happen because there's industry there. Nanotechnology, all kinds of of companies are trying to invent things that sort of will hybridize. Hmm. Not not to make a robot or an android, but so that I can put my chip in your skin and remotely dose you with whatever medication you're on. Like biomedical things is a big, is a big part of it. Um, Communications, military stuff. So I think as we continue going down that road, there will definitely be some uh, unintended consequences of that. And it could be really freaky. Yeah. It seems like (laughs) everything we do, we're trying to like, we're trying to beat mortality, obviously. We're trying to live for forever if possible. And sometimes I do wonder if that is how we're going to, that's if they're going to be like a, if there will be like a mass extinction uh, because of our, because some kind of effort to live forever will go horribly wrong and kill the majority of people. I think that's I think the, it's highly likely. <laughs> or we'll all just cryogenically freeze ourselves. Yeah. But yeah, what seems much healthier to me is just to, come to terms with the death. Mm. I mean, nobody's going to completely escape fear of it, but the way that we live our lives as people, um, acting as if it's not going to happen. Yeah. And the, the links and contortions that we go through to extend our lives way beyond, you know, a good quality of life, uh, is grotesque to me. And I just, once again, unsentimentally feel like if I died today or in 13 years, like, it, why would that matter? You know, just if you look at all of time, all of people. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, that sounds pretty stoic and that sounds pretty in control of your maybe emotions. I don't know. I don't think I, I and I've, I definitely have an emotional fear of, of death. Oh, I uh, do too. Uh, yeah. The suffering. Yeah. And of what's on the other side too. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was raised to believe there's a hell. Me too. And my mind rejects that, but there's something in me just having been raised that way. I'm like, a little bit like, oh shit, what is it on the other <laughs> side? What I, was I bad? Was I bad? Am I gonna get like cosmically punished? You know? Yeah. I'm definitely. I have fears about it, but I just know that I'll have to face those at some point. So it to me, it doesn't matter much. 
if it's now-ish or later-ish. You were raised Christian? Mm-hmm, Presbyterian. It just didn't take with me. I was raised Baptist, and I, I guess it didn't. I, it did take with me at one point, but I, I, I went to war with it, and I ended up uh, not coming out the same as when I started. Anyway, I, mm-hmm. I, I, my opinions about that have gone to every place I can think of. But uh, do you hope that there's like an afterlife? Is that, a, is that something you ever fantasize about? I mean, my hope is that there's just nothing that my consciousness of being an individual will just not exist. Hmm. Interesting. No one ever says that. They don't? No. Oh, God, it sounds exhausting for there to be, like, a whole other thing that I now have to be engaged in. Like, I just want it to be finito. <laughs> I feel like that is the part that, no, like, yeah, no one People says are that. worried about not existing. Yeah. But I'm like, why would you You're not going to exist to care. Yeah. To me, that sounds like the best thing that could happen. Because caring about it and fretting over it is just part of the whole drama of human life. So to get to set that burden down. Yeah. To me, it seems like what could be better than that? And that that's such a peaceful way to look at it. I uh, <laughs> I wish I wish I could. I hope I can aspire. What? To it, be able why to is say nothing that. scary though? Knowing that you wouldn't be aware of it. It's it's a, like. A, did you ever read any Christopher Hitchens? Mm-mm. He, great writer. He uh, when he was he was dying. He got he had cancer and he he ended up getting taken out by cancer. And when he was dying, he wrote a book called Mortality. That's just like make you. It'll make you. It'll make you cry. I want to read that. It's really good. Um, but he he was doing a talk before he was before he was gone, and he said something in an interview that was it was an interview rather, and he said something about like it's one thing if <laughs> he said something like it's one thing if the whole party shuts down like. The whole party's ending, but it's another thing to know that the party is going on without you and that you don't get to come back. Oh, okay. So you got the FOMO. Maybe. Oh, Maybe it's some of that. Oh, shit. I don't care at all. <laughs> I think it is something. I do think about the future and like I, I, I like to think of the future with me in it. I don't like to think of the future without me in it. I, I don't know. It's I don't know how to put it into words exactly what this whole fear of, of non-existence is even is well and i mean i don't know if it can really even happen because the way that i experience when people die is that it's kind of like when they go to the store they're not in the room with me but i fully have a relationship with them who that person is to me has not changed at all just because they went to the store yeah and when people die i still feel the same way about that i actually do relate to that too like i when I was younger, I think it was different, but as I've gotten older, I don't feel when I've had family members go, it is painful. It is like really painful to know they're gone, but it's like the mourning process has changed a lot. Like I don't, I don't think of them as like this thing that doesn't exist in the same way that I used to, I think. Yeah. I don't, that's so weird to think about. I have a, I, have a hard time with the process of death and witnessing that it can be quite gruesome Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's sad when people are gone except I feel like you know if there's little kids who miss their dad or whatever that's very sad yeah but as an adult I I just feel like I get to experience people when they're here and when they're not it's not some big tragedy for me um 
but yeah, I have a big problem with the way that people die in this country a lot of times more than the fact of death. It's just, it's a machine and you know, they, it's just a big, it's a big grift keeping people alive and making Uh. them, making them buy into getting all these different tests that we now know might not even be accurate might be misdiagnosing people Mm. just every person who makes medical tubes or the little compression socks it just it's this whole industry and it's desirable for people to live till they're 90 something so that this industry can just squeeze every penny out of people and in the last three years i've watched both of my parents die at the end of a very very long horrible battle uh Mm. just you know the best that medical science has to offer to me looked like the worst, most inhumane thing I've ever seen. And I still can't believe that we can't just offer someone like that, just a little drink to just, you know, medical aid in dying. Yeah. It's such a controversial thing. I'm it just is. Like, yeah. Oh my God. I heard this one woman on a documentary saying every person is one bad death away from believing in medical aid and dying. Yeah. If you witness one, bad death or whatever it's so easy to get on board with it so i'm with you yeah i and it is tough but yeah i it's it's weird we do seem to have this i don't know if it i don't i don't know if it's just us i don't know if it's worldwide if it's a universal i don't know but it does seem like we have this obsession with mortality to the point that it's like stay alive at all costs we have an obsession obsession with longevity uh-huh. which I believe has been marketed to us by the people who make the longevity stuff. Interesting. The products. So do, do you not, do you think that it's, uh, there's no, there's, do, you, do you think it's totally fabricated? This whole idea of, of like kind of the desire to keep people alive as long as possible. I think it's a huge business. Um, if you think of cultures like in Switzerland, it's legal to, you know, take a, a lethal dose of something, have it prescribed by a doctor. So obviously people in Switzerland, everyone's not running around like, oh, I just want to die today. But people who are facing a really painful, long death, who decide that they don't want to go out that way, often choose this as yeah. more humane, having you have a little control. It's humane, especially for the people who are in your life. Um, so they don't have to witness all of this. And so, yeah, a lot of people choose that when it's, when you're in a society that doesn't stigmatize it or arrest you or whatever for trying to do it, if it's just something that's available, people choose that. So no, I don't think humans are programmed to squeeze every day out of life possible, even in mortal pain and misery. Right. I think that comes from marketing. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know, but I could see it because because obviously if it were a universal, you know, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have these other cultures that embrace it the way that they do. And the, and accept the that the lack of dignity maybe associated with the longevity of life at all costs is maybe not worth it. Well, and this longevity that we're speaking of is probably mostly available to people with more money, too. Right. Because a lot of people who get the same diseases are just going to die a lot more quickly. So it's sort of a privilege, but I've seen that and it does not look like a privilege when you see it. Mm. So that's another reason why I'm like, ah, dying younger is not a big deal. Yeah. 
Hmm. <laughs> yeah, really real shit. Um, not all about music today. No, not at all, which I'm glad. Like, it's it's uh, it's more interesting when they get a little deeper. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, that is some heavy shit, though, just mm-hmm. thinking about it. And, like, I, I have had some family members die, but I guess not. Yeah. Anyway, had some die on the younger side of life that were that it was just like it really, really sucked. It really sucked. It it felt so premature or mm-hmm. whatever. But of course, had them die at much older ages and at the like. It's it's a weird feeling sometimes, uh, when they go and it's like, you have to think to yourself. I'm honestly just like uh, it's kind of a relief that you're not just miserable all like constantly for sure anymore because that's what every time I saw you for the last like six years or whatever it was just you were absolutely miserable yeah and that's that's uh, that's unpleasant to have to watch somebody live all the time yeah and I mean I totally can relate to what you're saying about it seems tragic when somebody is just cut off abruptly at such a young age yes I agree with that I'm not trying to pretend like I don't care about any anything at all like that (laughs) but I just see a lot of really strange kind of subterfuge going on with the way that we approach death in our society yeah and that a good portion of it is just sort of keeping the consumers alive basically so (laughs) (laughs) man well so to change gears slightly let's talk about life so (laughs) i've been like i've been on this kick lately listening to a bunch of stoics and like philosophers just kind of because I'm personally, my, I feel like my goal is like, I'm really trying to figure out how to get to the life that I, that I picture for myself. That's like, it's at least in the, in the right, di- it's the next step for me, I think, in the direction of trying to pursue the life that I want to have. And that's hard to do sometimes. And I guess uh, it sounds like you, when you tapped into the Asheville music scene and started doing that, like, it sounds like you, it sounds like you're pursuing a life you mean to have like what what do you have to say about that i guess and what is your opinion i suppose on whether it's worthwhile or not to try to pursue a life you want to have um yeah i i am having a life that i i wanted and um it's great i feel super fortunate um some of the good fortune i've had is because probably because I was good at some of the stuff I was doing and some of the fortune that I've had is like, you know, from family and, you know, from being fortunate that way, having people in my life to, to help me at times when I needed help. And, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, if I was just destitute all the time, I don't know if I would have been able to continue doing what I've been doing. Um, so yeah, being fortunate is great. It also makes me feel guilty sometimes, but you know, I always waited tables along the way. I would do a bunch of gigs and also like do catering jobs or work wait tables or clean houses or things like that to make it happen. Yeah. And in the time when I was coming up in Asheville, you could afford your rent and have probably not one job, probably two or more and make it work, you know? And so that was great. And I, a lot of people are saying now that it's not, it's a lot harder because of rent. Um, prices have gone way up. Mm. Jobs aren't as available. It's just more crowded there. So, I mean, I'm glad I came up in Asheville during the time that I did. It just felt kind of wide open and free and like 
the things that I wanted didn't seem just totally out of my reach. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't really like this whole Oprah, you can be anything you want to be, you can manifest. (laughs) I think that's really bullshit and it's misleading. (laughs) And I doubt she would say it if she was standing in a refugee camp in Darfur. Oh yeah. Just anything you want, you just manifest it, you know, like it's a very tailored for a certain audience in America. Yeah. Um, but it gets into people's heads and you know, it's just, it's not cool. I don't think, you know, everybody can't be anything they want to be, you know, a a poor pipe fitter in wherever Alabama can probably not be a professional opera singer. Yeah. So, you know, having like pursuing things that you love to do is great, but being like misled to think that we're all going to be superstars is a weird cultural thing right now that I don't agree with. Yeah. 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 That's happening on a weird scale because like, oh, it's, it's really odd the way that like companies like like associated with social media are starting to appeal to people's desire to maybe like personalize their their personal ambitions to be famous or viewed in a particular kind of way i'm i'm referring specifically to uh to like what meta and facebook and stuff like what seems like the path they're going down and not to mention this long this long standing tradition of like long standing like a decade or a decade and a half of these these talent shows on tv that just like you know we we want to discover the stars and and all this shit um those being what we could we could if we just keep going we can just we can just list more and more and more examples of how much of an emphasis there is uh, for everybody on this idea of superstardom or whatever but yeah i don't know what it's all for and and now it seems like we're all we're aware, I suppose, of the changes that are going on in the entertainment industries at large, and the the shifting that's going on there due to maybe where consumers are consuming things now. So, uh, so that's interesting because it seems to me like this whole meta thing is trying to encourage people, like, hey, if you want to be a if you want to be a professional singer, if you want to be a professional musician, like create an avatar and do it in the metaverse thing. I think that's what they're going to start. I think that's what that, I think that's what Zuckerberg really thinks is like the future for mm-hmm. us. It's like celebrity in that realm, personalized self-cultivated celebrity in the form of an avatar. Yeah. And just the whole overriding sinister trend of, incentivizing people to change their behavior to interact more with digital platforms than they do with the outside world. Yeah. Which is fucked. It's very fucked. Yeah. I don't know what we do about that. I don't think that it's like, I don't think that, I don't think it's a supply and demand thing. I think the more that they try to force us in that direction, I sometimes think people over time are just going to say, fuck that and go back toward traditionalism and go back toward naturalism, go back toward like what we are as a species. Oh, that's so optimistic. I hope you're right. Do you feel like that is like, do you feel like that's not likely? Um, I mean, I guess there'll always be some people who do that, Mm. but generally speaking, 
what I see happening is more and more engagement with sort of the digiverse or whatever. And that's where I think that hybridization thing comes into play where, you know, it starts off maybe with marginal things that you could argue are indicative of hybridization, but maybe not classically or technically. And then more and more weird little crossovers start happening and, you know, pretty soon. I don't even know. It just, all I know is all you have to do is step away from Facebook or your phone yeah, and just have an experience and maybe don't take any pictures of it <laughs> or tell anybody about it. I mean, I love the things that happen to me that I don't tell any about anybody about. Yeah. I mean, I have a very full relationship with just me, myself, not the things that I show or tell to other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. Do a bunch of stuff that you're really into and don't tell anybody about it. It doesn't have to be a secret, but, you know, this urge to, like, as soon as I see something cool to post it on, you know. <laughs> it's just, no, just see the, the cool thing and then just walk away. Yeah. So that's m- that. my prescription for overcoming the evil yeah. digital monster that's wrapped around all of our faces. I think Khalil Gibran, there's like a well-known quote from him that's of that exact similar sentiment. It's just mm-hmm. like that whole travel and don't tell anybody thing or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah I can't remember the full quote, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's a wacky time. It's been a wacky time for like a decade now. <laughs> and it's like, it's not slowing down, but yeah, I guess I, I, I do try to have some optimism and I, the and the the naturalism thing is more like a suspicion. I just feel like I feel like psychologically we have to balance out at some point and we've had this rush for so long of our reaction to the technology we now have. I remember the first time I interacted with a smartphone and how like interesting I found it and how I just wanted to keep messing with it and I was so like was fascinated by you can just touch the screen and like why do you just touch the screen like what good is like why don't we why wouldn't I have buttons on this thing and over time just seeing that change everything we've been that's what we've been doing for like a while and Mm -hmm. it just feels like necessary at some point that we're just gonna we're just gonna shift I think maybe not everybody in a like a national movement but I think a lot of people are shifting towards we'll opt out things. of the full thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope anyway. I hope so. But when kids are raised with that as the model, the normal way of being, that's what, you know, makes me wonder how, how easy it'll be to extricate oneself from that. Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad that I was born and lived many years of my life without the internet or phones as a model. And my little tagline that I use sometimes is like, it's a good time to be getting old right now. Mm. <laughs> it's another good one. Another good t-shirt idea, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm just a walking t-shirt idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's talk a little bit more about your music before okay. uh, maybe we, we take, think about wrapping it up. Uh, was it, was it Blackbird label? Was that the mm-hmm. name of the label? Blackbird record label. Blackbird, mm-hmm. Blackbird record label. Mm-hmm. This record comes out in May, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. The seventh is my release show. Uh, I think it's officially released online on the sixth, but then in uh, Black Mountain on the seventh, I'll do a release show. So. Where are you doing the re- the show at? It's called Roadmaster Stage, and um, it's a great little looks like an old roadhouse. 
uh, just right on the side of the road, Black Mountain. It has a great feel, and the guy who runs it is super music enthusiast and killer sound, so it should be a nice little show. Hmm. I might have to email them. Yeah, come on up. What uh, are you are you going out on the road with it at all? Are you going to take it or do do any shows on the road? Um, well, I have a show the next day down in South Carolina, the eighth. Um, it's a private show at a new venue that's just opening up, and I well, we spoke before we started recording about your booking agent because I definitely want to keep playing shows, but just in a different way than I used to. I used to just get whatever shows I could get and just go play them, and I'm going to be a little more discerning moving forward. Yeah. Um, but I love to play shows, so yeah, but I don't have like a big tour planned for this record or anything like that. Um, during the time when all of this planning of releasing the record was happening, it was a big question mark as far as touring just because of the pandemic, you know, at all. And now it seems like people are returning to, you know, it's, it's okay to go play shows or whatever. So I'm open to it. I just don't want to book it. Yeah, <laughs> I hear that completely. Uh, yeah, you, I, the video, the first video I saw of yours was you with I think like a like three other playing with like three other people, like mm-hmm. a band type of thing. Mm-hmm. Do you tend to do shows on the road with the band, or are you doing most solo stuff? Solo. Yeah. Um, I love a good duo, and I'm not opposed to it. I just it's it's not something I seek out. It's like oh, if I meet somebody that it's a good fit. You know, I, I I play upright bass too, so mm. sometimes I'm the accompanist or whatever. Um, and I've also had an accompanist with me, so it's fine. But trying to keep a band together has never been something I thought I wanted to spend a lot of my time doing. Yeah. And so, and yeah, everybody's just so busy. I don't. I really admire people who keep a band together. That seems really hard to me. And it's just easy to just go and sit down and play and. And it feels good to me that, like the other day in Carborough, I could sit down on a stage completely alone and play some my songs for an hour and a half and have people sit there and enjoy it. Yeah. That is some low-maintenance stuff going on, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's my basic model. I, yeah, I don't, uh, I, I, can, I can imagine how people making, like, a lot of money, I can, I can understand how they keep bands together, mm-hmm. but. Other than that, yeah, I don't fucking know how anybody does this stuff. And stories I hear about bands that are touring and stuff, larger bands, I don't know how people do it. Survive. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but I love solo acts. I mean, I, I like playing solo. I have a I have a trio that I play with currently, but mm-hmm. I just, I, I fucking love playing solo too. Mm-hmm. Any of it's good. But um, yeah, I hope that, uh, I mean, if you come through here, do you ever play Winston ever? What are the rooms? Where should there's, I be playing? There's not a ton. Gas Hill is our little local bar right now. They um, So Ramcat is the big place here, at larger capacity, and Gas Hill is the bar just above it. So it's okay. like the same business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've been doing shows in Gas Hill now since the pandemic just because it's... Your group? Uh, like all the local musicians are yeah. playing Gas Hill rather than the big room just because uh-huh. it's like more realistic for us to do. Yeah. A new place just opened called Roar that like just opened last week and uh, they're supposed to be having music. I think it's like a 20s themed dinner and a show type of thing. So that might be cool. The music has to be 20s themed? No, I don't believe so. It's just that they, uh, I think the, like the menu and the room and stuff, it's all like 20s kind of inspired. Uh So there's that. Um, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do here, which we were talking about a little bit before you got here. 
that I, I want to incorporate music into this, but I want it, I don't want it to be just like videos. I want to invite like 20 people over and have people do music here and, yeah. you know, make, you know, that would be a cool thing. But I want to figure out how to. I mean, be yeah. easy to do an outdoor thing here. Yeah, that's the idea. Mm-hmm. And it would be. I mean, I think it'd just be worthwhile. It'd be nice. It'd be a nice way to spend my Sunday evenings. So. Well, I think there are a lot of people out there who are have been missing seeing live music, but don't necessarily want to go back to the same dark pub or whatever. Yep. And so I am all about finding like porch parties and little scenarios like what you're talking about. That interests me way more than going to see a bigger show, actually. Well, hell yeah. Well, then so I hope you get, we should set that up. Yeah, I'd love to come here and play. Um, you can't just stick me out there in the sun because I'm redheaded. <laughs> something over me and then I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a sunset thing. Or there something you like go. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Cool. Um, well, Valerie. I think we can shut it down for today and maybe go look at the tree or two. Let's look at a tree. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Uh-huh.